Good morning, or good afternoon, I should say. I always make that mistake. Good afternoon, friends. Hope you're enjoying your lunch today, and it's a beautiful day. And I hope that this day finds the Lord's blessing upon you. And if not, hopefully this noon hour devotion will get you back on the right track. Amen? I praise God that each and every one of you are here this morning. And what I'd like to talk about in a brief devotion is a message that I've given the title, The Pearl of Great Price. The Pearl of Great Price. What I'd like to do just for a moment is I'd like to bow my head again just briefly in prayer just to invoke the Lord's presence once again. So let's bow just briefly again, please. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this beautiful day. And we pray again, as our dear sister has just prayed, that you would bless us abundantly above all that we could ask or think. We pray for your spirit to be here in our midst. We ask you to convict us and guide us through the thoughts that we share today. In Jesus' name, amen. As an introduction, I'd like to say um, that I believe that Jesus Christ was the greatest teacher and evangelist that ever lived. Would you agree with that? Amen? Okay, you, I know you're reading, but you can say amen with a mouthful, okay? But I really believe that Jesus was the greatest teacher. I mean, he could hold large crowds captive and spellbound by the eternal truths that he fed the multitude spiritually. And quite often we understand that Jesus taught through what we know to be parables. And parables are obviously symbolic illustrations that were intended to convey profound spiritual truths to those he was preaching to. Jesus preached and taught and quite often couched eternal realities in symbolic language. And those realities were meant to impact people for the gospel. Quite often he would cite details from familiar surroundings based on the daily occupations of those people so that when they were engaging in their daily routine, their surroundings would remind them of Christ's teachings. It was a very calculated way of teaching that would rivet eternal truths into their minds. And in those truths, friends, Jesus would teach the mysteries of salvation and redemption. Because after all, he did come to bring salvation and redemption to a lost world. Now, there are many different parables that the Bible talks about, but what I'd like to do, to do this morning, or this afternoon rather, is to discuss one such parable called the Pearl of Great Price. Okay? I believe that this is one of the most profound parables that Jesus used. Now, for those of you who have the word with you, let's turn to Matthew chapter 13 just for a moment. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, and then we're going to look at verses 45 and 46. Matthew 13, 45 and 46. Jesus says in Matthew 13, verse 45, Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Two simple verses here. 
But I'm going to discuss with you today what I believe that Jesus was trying to convey through this simple parable. I'm going to give you my rendition of what I believe this passage is saying. Here Jesus describes a merchant businessman who deals in the business of goodly pearls. One day as he is transacting business, he comes across a goodly pearl unlike any pearl he has ever seen. And as he considers this pearl, conviction fastens upon his mind and he's moved to action. New aspirations and hopes awaken within him to such a point where he is so taken by this pearl that he is willing to go and sell everything he has just to secure ownership of this one goodly pearl that he finds. Now, what was Jesus trying to illustrate in this parable? Now, there are many parallels and many, many applications that we could probably come up with, one of which is marriage. When we enter into a marriage covenant, hopefully the man and the woman sell all and devote themselves to each other, the one pearl that they found in each other. That's one possible application. But did you know, I believe, friends, as I was pondering this text one morning, the Lord revealed to me that also through this parable, Christ conveyed basically the two underlying principles that form the basis for the plan of salvation. I believe that when we do evangelism, we need to convey the principles of salvation to those that we preach and teach to. Because salvation is the beginning of eternal life, friends. And in this parable, Jesus outlines two foundational principles that make redemption a reality. And what I'd like to do for the remainder of our time is develop these two principles. Now, in the parable, you see two concepts. You see the merchant, right? And you see the pearl. Now, in the first principle of redemption, I believe that Jesus himself is the merchant and fallen humanity is the pearl. Now, let me explain. Jesus, in essence, as the merchant, sees in us, sinful humanity, a goodly pearl. And when he sees in us a goodly pearl, obviously that moved him to be willing to sell everything he had so that he would come down to this lost world and, and give up everything to secure our salvation. Because in us, he sees a goodly pearl. He sees what we can become through him. I can imagine when Adam and Eve fell in the beginning in the Garden of Eden when they ate the forbidden fruit and they plunged the, the world into sin. Jesus was moved with incredible compassion. He did not leave us to perish in our sins. And at the right hand of God, he was willing to relinquish his position in heaven. He was willing to take a post-fall nature of man to come down to this earth and he was willing to live a life of ultimate self-denial in order to purchase back this lost world that Satan had gained control of. Can you imagine the glories of heaven that Jesus was in before he, became, he came to this earth? I mean, think about what Christ gave up to come down to this world. 
He was willing to leave the bosom of his father's love. He was willing to leave the adoration of angels that the Bible numbers as 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And he was willing to come down to this cesspool of earth and sell all to buy us back. And when we meditate upon that theme, it has a subduing influence in the heart if we open our hearts and minds to it. And what's interesting about the whole thing is that Jesus gave Satan home court advantage. Because Satan had control of this earth. I can remember being in high school. Uh, uh, this is my one claim to fame in basketball. Okay, I'm going to share with you this story. In high school, I, I was able to play basketball. In my senior year, our high school team was horrible. We were 4-14 four and 14 that year. We only won four games out of 18. But I can remember us going... To a visiting or to another team's court, we were visitors. It was a team called Livermore Falls, and they were ranked fourth in the state of Maine in basketball that year. And at the end of the game, I found myself fouled with nine seconds left in a tie game. And I went to the foul line to shoot foul shots to see if I could win the game from our team. And, and you can imagine the, the incredible pressure from the home crowd. As I stood up to the foul line and took my practice dribbles and squared up to the basket, that place erupted with distractions. I mean, it was incredible. It was deafening. And as I sat at the foul line, and, and see, back then, foul shots in that situation were what they call one-on-ones. In other words, you had to make the first one to get the second. If you missed the first one, it was over. And so here I am at this line, and I managed to shoot the ball and make it. And then there was dead silence in there, and I just pointed at them, trying to distract me. All right? Well, then the ref gives me the second shot, and I managed to hit that foul shot. And then they came down and tried a last second shot and missed. And we actually beat Livermore Falls on their home court. We were horrible. I couldn't believe we won that game. And you know what was interesting, and I, I know that you're going to find this humorous, but two weeks later they came down to our court and they blew us out by 35 points on our home floor. And the coach of that team told our coach, we've been waiting for two weeks for this game. But the illustration holds true, friends. Jesus gave the devil home court advantage, and he came down here and faced every distraction that a sinful world could throw at him. And he blew the devil out. Satan could not get him even in thought once to transgress the law of God. Jesus won total victory over the devil, giving him home court advantage. What a wonderful Savior we have. He crushed the head of the serpent, as it were, through his victory in this world. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says that Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus sold all for us, friends. You know why? Because he sees in us a goodly pearl. And he was willing to do everything within his power to buy us back because he sees what we can become if we have him in our lives. He views you as an individual, as a goodly pearl. 
And if only one would ever be saved when this whole experiment with sin is wrapped up, Jesus would have gone through the same exact thing just for one soul. That's a powerful concept to consider. And coming to a planet full of sinful human beings, he essentially cried out, You are valuable to me. I am willing to sell all to purchase you. There's a famous statement in a book that describes this concept. That statement goes as follows. Christ was treated as we deserve, that we might be treated as he deserves. He was condemned for our sins in which he had no share, that we might be justified by his righteousness in which we have no share. He suffered the death that was ours that we might receive the life that is his. And in doing so, friends, he gave up everything as the merchant who sold all to buy back this pearl, sinful humanity. Here's an interesting point. This is an interesting, healthy tangent here. I think through this sacrifice, Jesus shows us how to win back a heart that is bent on rebellion against God. You know, we have three children. I've expressed this to you in our first couple of meetings. My wife and I, my wife Sarah and I have three children. And we are doing everything we can by the grace of God to raise them in a godly Christian home. But you know what? When they turn 18, I guess is the worldly standard. But eventually one day they'll, be, they'll become adults if Jesus tarries. And they're going to have to choose for themselves. And I've often thought, you know what, Lord, it, should my children choose to leave you, how will I respond to them? How would I treat them? But you know, friends, in selling all for us, Jesus showed us how to win back a rebellious heart. Think about it. While we were yet sinners... Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus initiated salvation, friends. We weren't even looking at him, and he was willing to go to a cross and die the most horrific death in the history of God's universe. And he did that so that when we conceptualize that in our minds, our hearts will be brought into submission to him. Only by love can love be awakened. A love that believes all things, endures all things, bears all things, and hopes all things. A love that never fails. Jesus initiated this love transaction to awaken love within us so that we would respond to him. And by the way, that whole process brings us to the next application of this parable. You see, when we understand what Jesus did in selling all, now the roles reverse. We become the merchant, and Jesus becomes the pearl. Because remember, salvation is a covenant relationship between two parties. God's love is unconditional. He loves saint and sinner alike, as it were. But you know what? Salvation is not unconditional. There are conditions to salvation. And that's why in this parable, I believe that the roles reverse now and we become the merchant and Jesus becomes the pearl. 
We float along the river of life. Living out our own agenda in control of our own lives. And we try to find fulfillment in all these different worldly enterprises. Sometimes we think education can fill the cup of our hearts. Sometimes we want reputation, influence, power, uh, monetary wealth, material wealth, and all these different worldly things that we try to find fulfillment in. But we realize that those are vain enterprises because they can never fill the longing of a heart that desires something better. Only God can fill that void. And we think the world smells good and it looks good and it seems good, but there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. But you see, one day, by the grace of God, our minds become enlightened and our hearts become convicted that there's this goodly pearl named Jesus. Right? And we see what he went through on the cross of Calvary. We see the ultimate demonstration of of an unconditional love that God could ever do. Calvary is the greatest demonstration of God's love that this universe has ever seen. And when we consider that, by the grace of God, if we don't resist that, new aspirations awaken within within us to a point where we are willing to sell everything To have that goodly pearl of Jesus Christ. And there's where the condition to salvation comes into the picture. Because remember, salvation is conditional. Both sides must sell all for the other. That's the condition. If you want to be saved, you must come to the point where you are willing to yield everything to Jesus. You must be willing to submit And surrender your life and your heart and your mind and everything that you are to him. Because when you look at what he gave up and how he sold everything for you, you must reciprocate that in order to be saved. That, I believe, is what this parable is trying to articulate to us. Of course, that's how it resonated in my mind as I was pondering this text. And when you look and consider how great a sacrifice it might be to give up all for Christ... You go to the the cross and you see if there's anything in this world that's worth hanging on to that would prevent you from making that surrender. It's a very serious thing, brothers and sisters. Because only Jesus Christ can fulfill the longing of the human heart and give true heavenly peace. And that peace can only come through a total submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to be willing to sell all. God has the agenda of enlightening us as to the self-sacrificing love of Christ and invites us to respond to that love. When we see Jesus selling all for us, we are invited to reciprocate by selling all for him. This parable illustrates that salvation, again, is a covenant relationship based upon a condition to where both sides sell all for the other. Jesus has initiated the transaction and now we must respond. And so I appeal to you this morning, are you responding to that initiative? You know, years ago, they came out with Atari. You ever heard of that old video game called Atari? And this is when I, I must be pretty old because not many of you are saying yes, but, but, but when I was growing up, they had this Atari, it was back when they had those old joysticks, you know. And, and I was very close to my maternal grandfather. In fact, I affectionately called him Gamp 
Not Gramp, but I left out the R for some reason and called him Gamp. And I can remember one year my parents bought me this Atari game. And I used to go down and visit my grandfather a couple of weekends a month because I was very close to him. And I told him, Gamp, you know what? I got this awesome video game. I want to bring down and, and, and I want to show you how to play it. And he told me, he said, Mark, do not bring that ridiculous game into this house. But you know what? I was in charge of my program, right? And that particular weekend, I went down to my grandfather's house and I brought my video game. And my grandfather was down cellar, down in the basement, doing a few things. And so he didn't see me walk in with that game. So I took advantage of that window of opportunity and I slid into the living room and I hooked up this game to the TV and I was well into a game of Pac-Man when Gamp comes up into the living room. And I'm like, look at this, isn't this awesome? And he looked at me, and this is, no, this is no exaggeration, his eyes began to well up. And he looked at me and he said, do you always have to have your own way? And he walked out of the room. And you know, I, w I was kind of shocked by that, because I was like, man, why is he getting all bent out of shape about this? Why is, he, why is his eyes watering? I mean, come on, it's just a game. And I even called my mother to gripe about it. And I said, Mom, can you believe Gamp getting all worked up about this video game? You know, I mean, yeah, he asked me not to bring it down, but, but what's the harm in it? And you know, my mother began to tell me this. She said, Mark, let me tell you a story about your grandfather. You were six months old in the month of December. We were here in Maine. One day there was a huge blizzard, three feet of snow. And any of you who, you know, some of you are from Maine, you know there's no wimpy blizzards up there. I mean, they get serious snow at times. And there was several feet of snow this particular day, and it was coming down like crazy. And we lived about three or four miles outside of town. And my mom began to tell me, you got really sick one day when this was happening. And you needed some medicine. And we couldn't get the car out of the driveway. There was no other option. So you know what your grandfather did? He put his coat and his boots on and he walked all the way into town. Bought your medication. And walked all the way back just so that you could get well. I think you can leave a Pac-Man game home if he asks for it. And by the way, I'm not endorsing video games, okay? But you see the illustration. And you know, when my mother told me that story, I was blown away. And you know, the love that I had already had for my grandfather intensif intensified a thousandfold. And I went to him and I said, Gamp, I'm sorry. And did you know, to my knowledge, now God may reveal something different to me, but to my knowledge, I never disobeyed my grandfather again, ever until his dying day, until the day he passed away. And you know, it's, it's a crude illustration from a human perspective, but, but apply that to what we're discussing right now as it relates to Jesus. What did Jesus do for you? And you want to continue in your rebellious course in your life? You want to still be in charge of your agenda? How can you walk by the cross of Calvary and look at what Jesus gave up and not respond to it? You know, I'm amazed that even in evangelistic meetings, when we preach the gospel and we preach Jesus being uplifted on a cross, selling everything to the point where he gave up all and that people can walk away indifferent to that. I'm amazed. 
at how people at times don't respond to that great expression of love. And when you want to talk about victory over sin in the life, it all starts by understanding what sin did to the heart of God when Jesus was uplifted. How can we not be moved to relinquish control of our lives, to yield, to surrender, to submit and relinquish control to God? You know, by nature, we are sinful and we need to be in control. But friends, when we understand salvation, we must submit to a power outside of ourselves. We must take the reins and give them over to a power that we can't see with a naked eye, but that we must trust by faith because our lives are being changed by that self-same power. You know, one morning, I was in the ministry at this particular time, but one morning I got up around 4 a.m. And, and I didn't have kids at the time, so I didn't have my daughter Abigail coming in to see what I was doing. You know, it's amazing. I, I try to outsmart my children because they get up so early and I, and I try to have my devotions really early to get up before they get up, but it seems like the earlier I get up, the earlier they do. But, but this particular transaction took place before we had children. And I was up around 4, 4.30 in the morning and I was studying some Bible passages and, and I was reading some, some other associated books and I was contemplating Jesus and his sacrifice and, and how right now in the heavenly sanctuary... Jesus is interceding for us, working for our salvation. And my heart became incredibly convicted of the beauty of Jesus and his sacrifice. And you know what was interesting is this, this, and this wasn't a feeling, okay? I'm not talking about emotion. I'm talking about a, a deep-seated conviction in the heart. I became acutely aware that I was a lost sinner. In this moment of time. I mean, I, I got to the point where my sins uh, appeared so heavy and so burdensome that, that my soul was being crushed under the weight of all the sins of my life. My whole life flashed before my eyes. All the mistakes I had made and all the sins I had committed and all the people I had hurt, including my parents. And it, it just rose up before me and it began to crush me like a ton of bricks. In this moment, when I'm in the ministry, by the way, all right? And my heart was so burdened down with my lost condition. And I saw my need of Jesus so intensely that I was crying out to God. And I actually collapsed on the floor and began to clutch the carpet. Saying, God, I'm lost without you. Help me. And I cried out to God with every ounce of my heart. Because I was so convicted that my sins had put the innocent victim to death. And you know what was interesting about that is, I, I, and I forget how long that whole process took. I don't know if it was five seconds or ten minutes or what it was, but did you know that after wrestling with Jesus in that moment, in that quiet, intimate moment, this peace came over my soul. And the thought came into my mind. Remember I talked about how God speaks through our thoughts, right? I've never heard God audibly that I know of, but I know that the Holy Spirit speaks to our minds through the thoughts. And you might say, God never speaks to me. I never hear God speak to me. But you know what? Do you have a conscience? That's God speaking to you. And God, I believe, puts heavenly thoughts into our minds. And in that moment of time, this thought came into my mind. Heaven has heard your prayer. You are forgiven and justified before the throne of God. And you know what, friends? Friends. 
this burden lifted off me. And I was free in Christ. Not free to live any way I want, but I was free from the burden of my past, from the sins of my past. And I'd be willing to say that there are many in here in this room right now that are wrestling in the same situation. And I would invite you to understand that Jesus has sold everything for you. And if you will lay your heart on the line and yield all to him and reciprocate that, you will enter into a saving relationship with him. Your sins will be forgiven and, the, and Jesus will give you the spirit of God to make you free from your past. Because you know what? So many people live in the past. And you know what? I used to live in the past. And then I realized that no one has invented time travel yet. And we can't go back in time and change the mistakes we've made. But you know what? We do have right now. And we do have the power of choice. And so if we will exercise our choice by making a decision, we can have that peace that our heart is longing for. And we might not even realize that we need it. You know, I talked to you about my testimony last night. I wasn't even looking for God when God worked in my life. I could care less. But God did it anyway. So you might not even realize that God is working with you. But Jesus invites you to surrender your heart to him. Because if you want to be saved and live forever, you've got to reciprocate that. He's already initiated. But all it takes is a decision to surrender and yield to Christ. You must relinquish control. And so the question this afternoon is this. Will you make that decision? I hope and pray by the grace of God that through this message today, that your heart has been moved to make that decision. Will you make that decision? By an upraising of the hand, how many want to say with me this morning, I want to make this decision even now by surrendering my life to Christ. Show me with your hands raised, please. God bless you today. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless as we close. Father in heaven, this morning, this afternoon, we thank you for blessing us with your presence. Lord, help us to take in and grasp the great sacrifice and self-denial that you exhibited and the things that you gave up just to give us a chance to be saved. Lord, we pray today that you would bless our commitments, that you would accept our reciprocation of surrendering all to you. We see in you a wonderful pearl of great price. And you see in us a pearl of great price. Thank you, Lord. Help us to fulfill our commitment to you. And I pray that as we leave this place today, Lord, that you would bless us with your spirit so that we will walk in the light of your presence. Amen. That we will enjoy the blessing of salvation that we have received in this moment. That angels of God would mark the commitments that we've made and work with our minds as the Holy Spirit works with us in keeping these commitments and being faithful to the decision that we've made. Lord, bless us now as we leave and please, by your grace, keep us in your will. And by your grace, when you come again, may we receive the crown of life. Is our prayer in Jesus' name.